Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Happy Fourth of July. Well, thank you very much. It's nice of you to say. You know, Pastor Christina said when she thinks of the 4th of July, she thinks of two things. She thinks of food and fireworks. You know, I, I, I like to think of things like liberty and freedom and, you know, thankful for the country we get to live in and those kinds of things. But, you know, somebody thinking of food and fireworks, that's, that's inspiring too. I appreciate you sharing that with us. You know, on on holiday weekends, a lot of times church attendance is down, and obviously we we want to see God's house filled. But, you know, what's exciting, that even though, and I understand people travel and have things going on, but what's exciting on mornings like this is that you all had a, a good excuse not to be here, but you chose to be here. So we have the people in God's house that really desire to be in God's house this morning, which I'm not, I'm not just trying to pat you on the back. I mean, that genuinely creates a different kind of environment when you've got people that are, are hungry and that they've pushed aside excuses and made sure that they got into the house of God. Amen? You know, we've had a couple of great weeks these last few weeks as a church family. We had VBS, which was amazing. Then our family fun day, which we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people hanging out. That was amazing. Then last week we got to see 19 people baptized in water, people taking next steps in their walk with the Lord, which which is very encouraging, exciting to see those kinds of things happening. We have a goal this year to see 150 people baptized in water, 150 people taking that next step in obedience to following Jesus. So we had 19 people last week, just awesome, awesome to see. Then last week, we also started this new series. We're working our way through the book of Acts. And we started off last week, Acts chapter one, verse one, where Luke, the author of Acts, refers back to the previous book he wrote, the the gospel of Luke. And he says, "In in the former account, I began to write all that Jesus, all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so we talked about that, that what Jesus did while he was here, his his life, his ministry, the healings, the miracles, the, the divine provision, all the amazing things, that wasn't the end of the story. In fact, far from it, it says that that was just the beginning. That's all that he just began to do and teach. So it lets us know Jesus still has things he wants done and things that he wants taught. And we talked about how the sequel, the second part of Jesus' ministry through the Holy Spirit and through the church, through people like us, is not supposed to be a sharp drop-off in impact. It's actually supposed to be even better than Jesus' ministry. That's what Jesus himself said. The same works I do, you'll do the same and even greater. There should be an intensification that the greatest days of the ministry of Jesus are now, not then. That's very different than how most of us think about it. A lot of people think back, man, those were the days when Jesus was ministering, amazing things were happening. We should be seeing more of that now, not less of that. And so to change our expectation and change the way we think about what God wants to do, it's not uh, uh, Christianity isn't supposed to be a looking over our shoulder at those few years Jesus was ministering. In fact, that's one of the things we focused on last week. Jesus is still alive. The next couple of verses, it says that Jesus spent 40 days 
And he presented himself alive to the disciples and gave them many infallible or unmistakable proofs that he was alive. All through Acts chapter one, that's the emphasis that we see. Jesus is alive. Rising from the dead isn't just something Jesus did a long time ago. Today, he is still the risen Lord Jesus. And it's important for us to keep that alive and fresh in our hearts because sometimes we think of it as you know, a historical fact or, or, or something that we appreciate that happened and we lose sight that we can know the presence of God now. We can know Jesus now, have fellowship with him now. Jesus said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit so that we could be witnesses. We talked about being witnesses, if you were last week, here last week, that when you need a witness, it's because there's something that, where there's doubt or something that's in question, and a witness comes to help bring clarity and help remove where you're uncertain or where there's doubt. And when Jesus says so that you can be witnesses of me or witnesses to me, there are some things about Jesus that really don't need a witness because there's not doubt about it. It's a historical fact that there was a guy named Jesus, that he, he traveled and ministered and had a lot of good teachings. It's not disputed that he was crucified by, by the Romans. The part that needs attested to, the part that needs witness to, is the fact that he didn't just die on a cross, but he rose again and he's, a living, he's a living now. That's where he needs witnesses, that Jesus is alive. He is the risen Lord Jesus, that people would be able to say, Jesus is alive and he lives in me. And so he said the whole Holy Spirit would give us power, ability to be those kinds of witnesses. We also said that a good witness doesn't get on the stand, and when they witness or testify, they don't give hearsay. It's unadmissible, even in a secular court. They, they, they just share something that they, they heard or someone else experienced this, and they just talk about someone else's experience. Well, the Holy Spirit, if he's giving us the ability to be good and effective witnesses, that means we have firsthand testimony. Jesus is alive. I know him. I know his presence. I have fellowship with him, that we would know Jesus is alive. Amen? So in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples to sit tight. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise, the promise of the Father. So these guys, these disciples, they have been prepared, they have been prepped to tell the world the good news. They've been given the Great Commission, instructions to, to go to the ends of the earth and tell people about Jesus. They've spent three years being prepared. They, they know about Jesus. They know his teaching. They're firsthand witnesses, the fact that, that Jesus was crucified. They saw him put in the tomb. They saw the empty tomb. They've experienced angels saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? They've heard the voice of the father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. They've had all kinds of experience. They've got a vast amount of knowledge to be able to convey what people need to know about Jesus. They met the resurrected, resurrected Lord Jesus on many occasions. They saw Jesus ascend into the clouds. They had angels appear to them and say, well, why are you standing here looking up? The same Jesus you saw, he's going to return the way that you saw him go. They had all of these experiences so they could have then immediately gone and started telling people that they had all the information they needed to go and talk about who Jesus is and what he did and what he accomplished, right? But Jesus said, there, there's something you lack if you want to be effective in doing that to wait for the promise of the Father, wait for the Holy, Holy Spirit. So even though they had all of that information and they could have said all of the same things, if they wouldn't have had the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been effective. 
it would have been just words. It would have just, it would have had an emptiness to it. That they had the ability on their own to inform people, but Jesus didn't want people just informed. He wanted them transformed. He wanted them made into new creatures, new creation, which no one can do that on their own. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So to be effective, so it wasn't just some uh, starting of a new religion, some empty, empty proclamation that it would have power in life. They needed to have the Holy Spirit. They would not have been effective without relying on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is true for you and I that we will not be effective. You can't be the man of God, the woman of God, the husband, the wife, the mom, the dad, the employee, whatever role you have, God has a plan for the impact and the fruit he wants you to bear. You will be ineffective unless you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't accomplish what God has called you to accomplish in your own ability. Jesus said in John chapter three, flesh gives birth to what? Flesh gives a birth to flesh. All you can produce on your own is what's natural and finite and really not meaningful or impactful. But spirit, if you rely on the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you and through you, then spirit gives birth to spirit. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter six, verse 63. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. So if you've got people that re are relying on their flesh, even in the church, in the body of Christ, people walking, relying on their natural ability, then the profit is what? The benefit is what? The lasting, the lasting impact is what? It's nothing. It's the spirit who's able to give, to give life. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That illustration of the same life that's going through the vine needs to be going through the branch. That if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you'll bear much fruit and your fruit, your fruit will, will remain. What would it have looked like if the disciples would have said, you know what, let's just get right to it. And they would have started ministering without receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What, what would that have looked like? A bunch of men just spreading in from, people would have been informed. They've been trying to convince people on their own, but there wouldn't have been real fruit. There wouldn't have been life. Again, it would have been kind of hollow and empty. Which unfortunately describes a lot of the church today which lets us know that a lot of the church today is relying on human effort. Amen. That it just has, a, there's an empty, it's just information, people informing people, there's no power and there's no life, that people have made the mistake of relying on themselves instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And again, it's not just the church, it's, it's individuals, it's, it's you and I walking filled with the Holy Spirit and relying on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we rely on ourselves, our, our efforts are futile and frustrating, life is dry, we're, we're not really seeing the fruit that we're called, we're called to bear. So today I want to look at Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. And as we get ready to celebrate Independence Day and thank God for the country that we live in, thank God for the, the, the way that he's blessed us. If you Pastor Christina, thank God for, you know, baked beans and, and hot dogs, you know, whatever you're thankful for. But as we celebrate, <laughs> as we celebrate Independence Day, to take a few moments this morning and just to recommit ourselves to being dependent on the Spirit of God. Just to, to reestablish, Lord, we are completely dependent on you. And where we've become independent as followers of Jesus, we need to repent. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for your word. We invite you to come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're our teacher. Lord, bless us with the spirit of revelation. Flood our hearts with light so we can know you more. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. When the day of Pentecost had come. When I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home, and that's kind of all that I knew. And I remember going to school one day, and I was still fairly young, and one of the kids in my class asked me what kind of Christian I was, which was, you know, a strange question. I didn't know there was kinds of Christians. I just thought that we were, you know, I was naive enough to believe that we were just all Christians and we're all in this together. It was before I became enlightened to learn that, no, we're all divided up and we're, we're all, you know, have our own little sections and, and groups that we belong to. So I didn't, I didn't know. I went home and I asked my mom, what, what, kind, of, what kind of Christian, what kind of Christians are we? And she said, oh, well, we're, we're Pentecostal. I thought, well, that, you know, that, didn't mean anything to me. It's just a weird, a weird word. We're, I was just trying to remember that word so I could tell my friend. I remember trying to break it, break it down. Pentecostal. Remember, penny cost something cost a penny, and that's how I was going to remember it. So the next day, I reported back to my friend that I'm I'm Pentecostal. He said, "Oh, what's that mean?" Well, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm just a regular Christian. Can we just leave it leave it at that? But the word Pentecost just it just means. 50th. It was a, one of the three Jewish festivals where the Jews would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and celebrate. It means 50th because it was 50 days after Passover or, or seven weeks, the Sabbath day, seven weeks after Passover. And so that, that's when God poured out his spirit. And so we, when we talk about being spirit-filled Christians, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're defined as being Pentecostal. And that's why it says on the day of Pentecost that they were all in one accord. They were all in, they were all in one place. Thank God for being able to watch church online and listen to messages. And I, I do that myself. It's wonderful. Thank God for it. But it's not the same as being in the room with other people. It says that the environment where God began to move in such a powerful way. And really, th this is the birth of the church. Acts chapter two is considered the birthing of, of the church. That the environment was people together in one place. And it says that they were in one accord. That means they were at one heart, one mind. They wanted the same thing. They, desired, they, were thinking, they were thinking the same way. It's important to be together with other like-minded believers. And like I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago when we opened up, it, it creates a unique environment. It's a special environment. When you're with people and they want the same thing, if you could have been in that room on the day of Pentecost before God poured out his spirit and walked around that room and just kind of interviewed people and said, what, what, what are you doing here? Kind of what, why are you hanging out in this room day after day? They would have said, I just, I just want to be obedient to Jesus. He said, wait in Jerusalem. I just want to obey. I just want all that God has for me. I'm hungry for more of God. I just want him. Oh, that's interesting. And you go to the next person. What about you? And they say, I, I just want to obey Jesus. I just desire to honor him. I want all that God has for me. And you could have gone to person after person, and they would have given you the same answer. Man, I just, I just love God. I just want all that he has for me. And I just want to walk in obedience. You, you know, we're all in this room right now. Right? So we have 50% of the recipe already accomplished. We might, as, we might as well all get in one accord, one mind, and one heart, and we'll have the same kind of environment. Amen? We're already halfway there. 
So I don't know why you're here this morning. Maybe your wife is working in the nursery, so you got drug along, or you know, it's just your family's here, so you have to be here, or out of obligation, or some other reason. Well, we can, we can take just a minute to, to make some adjustments. And just say, you know what, I'm going to switch the reason that I'm here. We're all in the same room. Let's get ourselves lined up. In fact, let's just take a minute to do that. Maybe we should do this every Sunday. You can just begin to talk to the Lord. Lord, I, I just want to be obedient. Lord, I want, I want all that you have for me. Just take a minute to do it. You can close your eyes. Lord, I, I love you. I, I just want all that you have for me. Adjust my intentions and my motivations even right now. Lord, stir up a fresh hunger for you. I want to be obedient. I want to receive all that you have for me. Lord, I love you. I want your presence. Lord, give us grace and mercy to not just be in the same room together, but to have the same heart, the same mind, the same desires. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. They were all together in one place, in one accord, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're all together. They've been in that room waiting for about for about 10 days. They figure it's 10 days because Jesus was showing himself alive for, for 40 days, we're told. And then this is Pentecost. It's the 50th. So we have about 10 days that they've been waiting waiting for God to pour out his spirit. They've been waiting for the promise of the Father. And then those verses we just read, a wind begins to blow, tongues of fire show up on their heads, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak with other tongues. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been been longing for, what Jesus told them to wait for. If we jump back over to Acts chapter one, verse four, it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So you need to wait. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, they were familiar with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't a foreign concept or a foreign entity to them. The Holy Spirit's all through the Old Testament. In John chapter 14, Jesus was talking about sending the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he said, who you know? Talking to his disciples, the Holy Spirit, who you know? They were familiar with him. He said, he's he's with you now, but he will be in you. So they, they were familiar with the Holy Spirit. But this idea of being baptized, this was something different than they knew. They'd already had experience with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, verse 21, after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus said to them, peace to you as the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So they've already had this encounter where Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. But then we get to Acts chapter one, verse four. He says, no, now you need to wait for the promise of the father where you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is something in addition to what had already occurred in their life. The Holy Spirit's already active, and what happened in John chapter 20 was salvation. They've encountered the risen Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God does a work in them. That's salvation. But Jesus said, you need to wait. There's something more. There's another work that the Spirit of God is going to do. He called it baptism or being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
In Titus chapter three, verse four, it says, but when God, our savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. He saved, so what's it talking about? Salvation, right? He reveals his kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life, how? Through the Holy Spirit. It's talking about salvation. When somebody gets saved, the Holy Spirit is present and the Holy Spirit is active. The new life that comes when you become a new creature, a new creation, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, the Spirit of God's already active, already present in your life. But listen to this next verse. Verse six of Titus chapter three. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is working, drawing people into a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. There is a second work in the life of a believer called baptism in the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus said, the world can't receive the Holy Spirit, can't receive this baptism. Well, then who who can receive it if the world can't? Those who've been brought out of the world, now they're they're sons and daughters of God, they're Christians, they're the ones that can now receive the, the baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism. So the Holy Spirit's working in us at salvation, but the second word, the second work is baptism. That's how Jesus described it, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you were here last week, we got to see people baptized in water. So we've got an image in our mind of what that, what that is like for someone to be baptized. When, when someone's signed up to be baptized and we communicate with them, we let them know, hey, you're, you're gonna need to bring a change of clothes. Good idea to bring a towel. We even have extra towels and stuff in case someone forgets. So we tell them that. You know, if they ask, hey, am, am I going to get kind of wet? No, you're not gonna get kind of wet. You're going to get completely wet because that, that's what baptism is, right? Baptism is all in. It's, it's literally a, a person yields themselves to the water and that water goes completely over them. It, it's complete yieldedness to the water. And Jesus uses that picture. You're going to be baptized. You yield yourself completely. Allow the Holy Spirit to go completely over you. So there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit working in you and this experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? So it's the difference of having water in you or being plunged into a pool. Would would it be easier to notice if I had some water in me or if I had some water on me? If if I chugged a big glass of water before I came up on the platform this morning, you probably wouldn't notice, right? When I came up here, you wouldn't nudge the person next to you and say, hey, does does he look like extra hydrated today? There's just something, he just looks like very, very moist. His skin looks supple. He must have just drank a bunch. You you wouldn't notice, right? You'd have no idea that I just chugged a bunch of water. But if I'd done a a cannonball into a pool and then came up here sloshing and water's dripping all over, it, it would be hard not to notice. That's the picture Jesus is giving us of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That when people see you, they they notice because the Holy Spirit is on you. You carry the presence of God. If I was all sopping wet and then we we greeted each other and I went to hug you, you know what happened? What's on me, you'd feel it on you. You, you, When you contact someone, whatever's on them gets on you, whether it's water, whether it's nothing, or whether it's the Holy Spirit. That's the way it should be for spirit-filled believers that we carry the presence of God. We've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and now when you contact us, you're contacting the presence of God, the Spirit of God. Jesus said you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism, to be immersed in the spirit, in the spirit of God. 
It's the second work in the life of a believer. Jesus, Jesus referred to it in that verse. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. That's how he referred to it. Wait for the promise of the Father. Do you know how many promises are in the Bible? You know how many promises are in here? And yeah, me neither. And I don't feel bad about it because I, I Googled it this past week and I saw a bunch of different numbers. It depends how you define it and what you consider a promise. One person said there's over 3,500 promises in the word of God. Another person said there was over 7,000 promises. Someone else said there was over 8,000 promises. So depending on how you define it, we, we can agree there are a lot of promises. Hundreds, if not thousands of promises in the word of God. Correct? So, so how does Jesus get away with just saying the promise? Wait for the promise. And none of his disciples ask him, uh, Jesus, we're willing to wait. Just which, which promise? You know, there's, there's a bunch. How did, how did Jesus just say the promise of the Father? And all of them are like, okay, the, the promise. The promise of the Father. They knew that there was one promise that was so special and so sweet that God was going to make a way that you and I could receive his spirit. We could be carriers. We could become temples of the Holy Spirit. He would pour out his spirit on us, not just for prophets, not just for kings, but regular Joes like us could be carriers of the spirit of God. A promise that was so wonderful that of all the incredible promises in the word of God, it was just the promise, the the promise of the Father. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, that, that's how Peter explained what was going on. When people are saying, "What these people are out of their mind, they're crazy, they're drunk, Let, let's read it. Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, verse 14. It says, but Peter standing up with the 11, this is after they've just said that they're mocking them, saying they're drunk. Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. That, that's the way Peter explained it. When people are saying, what's going on? These guys are crazy. They're out of their mind. They're a bunch of, bunch of drunkards. He says, no, 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 no. Guys, you, you, you know the promise, right? You know the promise? This, this is what's happening. The promise of the Father, it's happening. God is pouring out his spirit on people. Let me read you from Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Listen to this. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What Jesus did, becoming a curse for us, making a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. He, he did that. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham, the promise could come upon us that we could receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit of God, by faith, the promise of the Father. In Acts chapter two, verse 38, when people say, what do we need to do? And Peter says, repent, be baptized, and then you'll receive, he calls it the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in those two chapters, 
Receiving the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is referred to as the gift and the promise. A lot of times, believers struggle with receiving this second work of the Holy Spirit. I've talked to people that said, you know, I've, I've tried. I've tried to receive. I've had, I've had so many people pray for me. I want the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I've, I've tried. I just can't receive. And people start thinking all kinds of different things. Well, maybe there's something, maybe something's wrong with me. Well, there probably is, but that doesn't disqualify you from receiving, <laughs> receiving the Holy Spirit. Maybe I've done something terrible, and, and that's why I haven't received it. God just, you know, it's just not for me. And people get in their heads trying to explain away why they haven't received. You, you need to understand, it's the promise, the promise of the Father. It's the gift. It's not based on merit. It's not based on you qualifying in your own, own effort. Just that, you, just that you know Jesus as Savior, and then you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you've struggled to receive the Holy Spirit in the past and you've, you've tried to explain it away or you, the enemy's kind of convinced you that there's something wrong with you or it's not for you, it, it is for you. It's a gift. It's the promise. It's the promise. He promised. He's faithful. He's faithful when he makes promises. And he promises that you can receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But even though something is a gift and has been promised, you know, you still have to be active in receiving. And that's where some people fail to receive. Last week, someone, someone told me that they were going to bless me with a jar of homemade salsa. And so they, they said, I'm going to bring you some, some salsa. I said, thank you. And then later I got a text saying the salsa had been delivered. They told me where it was here, here at the church. So a promise had been made of a gift that was going to be given. And then I received notification that... It was a done deal. It had been delivered. The salsa was now available, right? So it would be foolish for me to sit up in my office with a, a corn tortilla, just an empty chip, lamenting the fact that there was no salsa on that chip. Look at this empty chip. I, I thought they, pro they promised me. I wonder if there's something wrong with me that I, I didn't, there's no salsa on the chip. I wonder if there's something wrong with them and they, they're deceiving me. You can come up with different explanations, but I, I either, even though it's a gift, I still have to play a role of going where I was told that I could receive it and laying hold of that gift and actively receiving. That's what we're told in Galatians 3.14, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, but that's not the end of the sentence, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through through faith, through faith, the faith actively receives. Some people get caught up in feeling, get caught up in you know, sensationalism and all those kinds of things. That wasn't, Jesus doesn't mention any kind of feelings. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, I, I, don't, I don't feel powerful. Nobody said anything about feeling powerful. Just there's faith that you are powerful. If you've received the Holy Spirit, it's a gift that you receive. It's the promise of the Father, just like salvation. You can come and repent of your sins, give your heart to Jesus, receive him as the Lord and Savior. Some people are emotional and cry. Some people are stoic and it looks like they're just, you know, renting a car or something. Like there's no emotion involved at all. It doesn't matter. It's not about emotion. It's about faith. You can receive. I don't feel saved. It doesn't matter. If you gave your heart to Jesus, you are saved. It's an act of faith. And the same thing is true with receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Too many believers miss out on it because they aren't actively receiving this gift by faith. It's, it was told you can have it, then just receive it. I, it's mine. I receive it. I receive it. I didn't roll on the floor. I didn't, you know, prophesy and all these things, I, but I received it by faith. I, I received, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit by faith. 
the promise of the father. You know, if you're a father and you've made your children promises, there's kind of two different kinds of promises. There's one that's a solicited promise where they nag you and beg you. Can, can we get ice cream? Can we please? You promise? Yes, I promise. Just please shut up about the ice. Not that I would. It's more of my wife's language saying shut up. I'd say, just like, yes, daddy promises. You know, you make a promise just to like, okay, I know. I, yeah, I promise. We'll do it. So leave me alone. But then there's other promises that are unsolicited promises. And if you're a parent and you've ever made an unsolicited promise, it's different. It's something that you want your children to have. They, they, they're not even aware of it, right? You just know this is what's best for them, and this is what I want to make sure that they receive. When our girls were born, you know, I've got little notebooks. That I write them little, little letters from time to time for when they're older uh, that I'll, I'll share with them. Some of them, like the day they were born, in the delivery room, seeing that newborn baby, just begin to, to write and making promises. To, not, not, not solicited promises. They don't know anything about it. But I begin to promise, I'm going to be a good dad to you. I'm going to raise you right. I'm going to teach you to know Jesus. You start making promises, not because the baby's saying, you, you promise you make, you'll, you'll raise me right. You'll be, you promise you'll be a good dad. No, I'm just unsolicited promise because I know what's best for you. And I want more than anything for you to have it. That's the kind of promise. The promise of the father is one of those kinds of promises. No one, no one solicited him. Would you please give us the whole, no, he knows what's best for us. And he promised, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you can have access to my own Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the father. And if he promised that way, which he did, then it's an easy, easy to receive when you trust the promise of the father. And they were all filled, Acts chapter two, verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to speak in, in tongues. And we won't take time to do it right now, but we could go through the book of Acts and see that that was the pattern that you saw. When people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there was an evidence you could tell. And what was the indicator, the initial indicator anyway, was this prayer language. They began to speak in other tongues. One example is in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius's house. When Peter goes and he preaches to this group of, of Gentiles and there's some Jews kind of skeptically watching, like, are we allowed to tell? Are they allowed to receive Jesus as Savior? But while Peter is still preaching, it says while he was still preaching, God poured out his spirit on, on these Gentile people. And the Jewish people that had come with Peter, it says that they were amazed that the Gentiles could receive the Holy Spirit. Well, how could you tell just watching people be preached to all of a sudden, oh my goodness, they just received the Holy Spirit. It says, for they heard them speaking in tongues. That was the evidence. That was the indicator. These people have just received the baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence is that you begin to speak in tongues. And it says that they spoke. They spoke. So in just a few moments, if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one of the things we're working through Acts, but I'm trying to instill faith that you're able to receive. But you play an active role in it that the evidence as God begins to fill you, it's going to like, like overflow and start coming out like of your mouth as tongues. But you, if you just, some people come to receive with their arms 
crossed or their, their mouth closed, just kind of looking around. If your mouth is closed, you're not going to speak in other tongues. You don't become a sock puppet that the Lord takes over and start, starts making, making you move. You, you have an active role. That's part of where there is faith involved, that you take a step. So what I'd encourage you to do, if that's you and you'd like to receive this morning, is come up with faith knowing I'm not leaving here without the, the promise of the Father. I'm, I'm going to be filled the gift. I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith. That's how we're supposed to receive. And you come and you begin to worship God, I love you, out of your mouth, loud. Lord, I love you. Lord, I pray. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the promise. Lord, that you promised me I could receive. And then make a point where you're going to leave English and take a step of faith, begin to speak words that you don't under. It's going to sound like nonsense to your head as it begins to bubble up in your spirit, man. Let it come out of your mouth. And let, let pride and every other thing that comes in your head as an excuse, shove it aside. And that, that's what, it's, it's a step of faith. They, they begin to speak in tongues. For those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, use your prayer language. Pr pray in the Holy Spirit. Carve out time. Let it be a regular, a regular thing. There's, there's two points I want to make before, before we pray. One is that baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just supposed to be for a moment. It's not just an experience. It's not just a, a neat a neat time at the altar or you know, a day or two where the Lord's really ministering to you. It's a, it's a change of life. It's a, a walking and living by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at Peter, Peter's entire life changed. The, they, the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues and then they get out of that upper room. They go out into the streets where there's thousands of people. And Peter begins to preach in front of thousands, 3,000 people. This is the birth of the church. 3,000 people are, are born into the kingdom of God, get saved that day. This is the same Peter that in John chapter 13, he was saying, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus, I'll, I'll even lay down my life for you. And Jesus had to say, easy does it. Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny three times, not once, not twice, three times. You're going to deny that you even know me, let, let alone die for me. So he had that desire in his heart. He wanted to honor the Lord and follow Jesus, but he lacked the ability to make good on the desires, good desires that he had. He was, he was a coward. He was scared. He was intimidated. He was nervous. He was afraid. But once he received that, he received power. He received the ability to push those fears aside and begin to proclaim the good news about Jesus, that he died and rose again. He even calls out the Jewish people, Jesus, who you crucified. He points them out. He's got, he's got a boldness. That wasn't just a moment for Peter. That wasn't just, man, you remember that day I got all crazy and started like proclaiming stuff? That, that was neat. It, it, it was his life, right? He began to walk. That, that was his lifestyle, thrown in prison, told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Hey, who do you think I'm going to listen to, men or God? He had a boldness. He would travel around and preach and, and write epistles that, that we have. Ended up becoming a martyr. It, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just for a moment. It's not for a moment. It's for spirit-filled believers. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter five to be being filled. Keep yourself full of the Holy Spirit. Filled, always full, baptized. It's not just for a moment and baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just tongues. Thank God for tongues. Thank God for, I mean, I'm so thankful to have that prayer language, but it's, it's not just tongues. It's a, it's a lifestyle living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If, you, if you've let it be a moment, 
Let's change that today. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit three years ago and you remember fondly that day that you spoke in tongues and nothing's happened since. It shouldn't be a moment. If you've allowed it to be a moment, let's change that. Let's fill you fresh today, get, a, get you full of the Holy Spirit and understand that it's, it's supposed to be the way that you live, living by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for a moment and it's not just a prayer language. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So he begins to teach about gifts, ways that the spirit of God and the power of God will manifest through spirit-filled believers. Skip down to verse seven. He'll begin to describe, lists off nine different gifts. Verse seven, it says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The manifestation or the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one. That means every person has the gift of the Holy Spirit or gifts of the Holy Spirit that he wants to manifest through you. It's not just for evangelists. It's not just for uh, super spiritual people. That Every person has the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says each one for the profit of all. Every one of us is gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have a gift. The Holy Spirit has put a gift on the inside of you that is so precious and so powerful, it has the ability to profit who? Not just you, for the profit of all. You have something on the inside of you that would do us all good. The, each one for the profit of all, but the, the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's all that Jesus began to do and teach. He wants to continue to do it through your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. To each one, again, he reiterates, to each one individually as he wills. If he's given each one of us a gift, he wants us to have it. He wants to minister through you. He wants you to be profitable. He wants us to live by the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm just sharing this as an example. It's more than tongues. It's living a lifestyle empowered to have fruit, empowered to make impact that your life would be meaningful. You, you, God wants to use you to profit all, to be beneficial to everyone around you, that you carry the Spirit of God, the presence of God. Have you ever experienced the presence of God? Four of you. If you've experienced the presence of God, you know how wonderful it is to know the presence of God, how, how cares and concerns drift away. You can be in all kinds of different moods. Come into a service like this morning, and once the presence of God, it gives you a different perspective. It's like life changes in an instant. Oh, God, oh, I love you, Lord. I love you. I was so worried about that. That's so stupid. Lord, I love you. Nothing compares to the presence. That's on the inside of you. And there's different ways that God wants to, to flow through you to help people encounter that sweet presence of God being filled with the Spirit, being a Spirit-filled believer. It's not just a way to classify ourselves as a church. It's not just an experience that we have. It's not just a moment. It's not just tongues. It's living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just like, 
just like Peter would have been frustrated and fruitless and confused to go out and start preaching without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the way some of our lives are as we try to be godly men, godly women, try to make impact, but we're leaning on, on ourselves. We're trying to do it in the flesh and it produces frustration. Flesh gives birth to flesh. It makes life, being a Christian, hard and confusing. There's, no, I, there's supposed to be fruit. It's supposed to be joy. It's drudgery. It's like in Galatians chapter four, when it talks about the promise that Abraham received, that he tried to make that promise come true in his own effort with Hagar, give birth to a, a slave with a slave woman. It produced bondage. But when God came through on his own, it was with the free one, freedom, freedom. Describe some of our walk with the Lord. It's like bondage because we're trying to do it in our, our own efforts drudgery instead of just relying, relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit. It's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as a church. It's true for the church. You know, Acts chapter two is the birth. It's the birth of the church. How was the church birthed? God poured out his spirit. God poured out his spirit and the church was born. People speaking in tongues, going out, move to minister to other people. People that have to tell about the good news. That's how the church was born. Let me read one more verse and we'll pray. Galatians chapter three, verse three. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Are you so foolish that having begun in the spirit, that's how the church begun, right? We can apply the same principle anywhere. Something that's begun in the spirit, it is foolishness it's foolishness to try to improve upon it, to try to move it further by relying on the flesh. It's foolishness. What God has begun by his Holy Spirit to try to make it better, to try to take it further by our own effort and our own talent and our own ability. But we're not foolish, amen? We're not foolish. And if we are, we're, we're, we're repenting of that foolishness declaring dependence on the Holy Spirit, dependence on the Holy Spirit. Lord, where we've been foolish, forgive us. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. It's you, only you, only you can produce that kind of fruit. Lord, we need your spirit. How, how the church begun by moving of your spirit. Lord, that's how, it's going, that's how it's going to continue. It's got to be you. And I wanna take a few moments this morning just, just to pray along those lines. Lord, we, we want your spirit. We declare dependence on you. We already all got in one, one accord, right? We still in one accord? If we should do two dismissals this morning, first dismissal for those that are not, so we can have that environment. One place, one accord. Lord, I just want all that you have for me. I want all that you have for me. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.